We're on. We're on. Now this week, Ben's sick. <laughs> Man, pink eye. So don't touch your earbuds or make sure you wash your hands afterwards. <laughs> I was at our music, my music lesson today, and our music teacher, who we are also friends with, he's like, he knows our family had an epidemic of pink eye outbreak, and he's like, maybe it's just uh, psychological that my eyes are starting to itch right He was now. saying that on Tuesday, too. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right. Well, it's 10:15 in real life here. Yeah. So we got to get cranking. But I'm actually really excited about today's episode. You know what's got to be nice to be you as a wife? Yeah. You What's's just nice? You just show up to these podcasts. That is actually pretty nice. Ben puts in a lot of work for these podcasts and I put in some work. <laughs> oh yeah. By showing up. Show up. <laughs> That's true, that's true. No, I'm not trying to steal the credit, but I'm just saying it must be really nice because you just roll up here with your cigar. I'm like, what are we talking about today, Chief? You have to wait and find out. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. No, I have an inkling. What? Oh, you know. Yeah, you know. Because I saw you researching it and doing your little note thing. You slept with the producer. Sometimes. Um, okay, but to start off with, well, first we gotta get our cigars lit, lit, lit. They gotta be lit. Mm-hmm. It's lit. That's what the kids are saying nowadays. But we have so much feedback. So. Oh, that's cool. Okay, this is from a previous episode, not last week's, but the week before. The um, children seen as gifts versus projects elizabeth says i can relate i had a best friend since child up oh, that's not the one i was looking for that is not that's that's the last week's hang on um where is it sorry okay never mind i'm not gonna find it i guess i thought i had it for you guys I failed. These are actually from last week. So I was blown away by the feedback from last week, actually. Because here we put out this masterpiece, what I thought was a masterpiece, which was this children versus as gifts versus projects. <coughs> and, and there was like, okay, response. A few people were like, this is life changing. So it's like, cool, whatever. And then I say, hey, people call me being a narcissist. And all these people are like, oh, yeah, that sucks. Me, too. Or something like that. I thought you were going to say, oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> no, people were. <laughs> but they could relate to it. Yeah. The message. I guess so. That's cool. So you want to start reading these comments while I light up my cigar? I do. All right. Elizabeth says, I can relate. I had a best friend since childhood who labeled me. It's taken years of undoing that voice. I still can get triggered. I don't think it was mild intent, but has deeply affected me. We are not friends any longer. It's a lot of coming to understand as best as I can. Thank you for this. Hmm. 
years of undoing that voice. Yeah, it is kind of crazy how long it takes to undo something. And she says that she doesn't think it was um, there was malintent, but it doesn't take malintent, you know? Yeah, and that's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of times we can say things to people and we have no idea how they're internalizing it. All okay, right. next one. Uh, we don't have a name, but this person says, let me just say, I not only marvel at and applaud how you live life, value family, manage finances, raise your kids, view education, talk about sex, share your past, and talk about pain, but I also entirely appreciate your faith journey, which does, does feel like the engine of your life together. I had a radical conversion experience in high school, ditched it all sharply during college, then pursued God seriously since my early 20s. I married my youth group sweetheart, have two kids in Christian schools, did missions in Rwanda, Uganda, India, Philippines, and even left the business world for six years to launch a church plant here in our town. I got burned brightly by the religious realm and went back to the business world 10 years ago. I now have my own business and I'm working hard to get out of all debt. Another tenant I totally agree with you on. I think this is a guy named Keith. Thank you for the comment, Keith. But geez, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? It does sound familiar. Bust your ass for Christ and then just get, and then you get burned. worn out. Yep. Same. <laughs> okay. Keep on reading. I'll keep okay. on smoking. This person says, being a part of the mental I think health... this guy's name was Steve. Sorry, I had to chop off some of these Steve names. Steve says, being a part of the mental health profession, diagnosing is a skill to be honed and is only a small piece to the mental health of a person in treatment. Anyone theoretically can read the DSM and uncover the list of conditions required for a diagnosis and label someone. However, within therapy... The process should be life-giving and open for exploration rather than condemnation. I like that. Because I think we definitely felt like it was this condemning sentence. Or it was like, let's gather the evidence against Ben. And here is, yeah. here's Yeah, it wasn't like, piece. is this helpful for you? It was like, this is helpful for us. Of course, there was this religious vibe where... <clears throat> I think it was um, kind of there was some bonus points for self-flagellation. So I would say I was like looking for, you know, to find proof that I was like kind of a crappy guy. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I've backslidden. I was like oh, much more open to these types of labels than I think I would otherwise be. But for the most part, yeah, it was not life-giving yeah. in hindsight. Okay. This comment is from Allison. I think the hardest labels to ignore are the ones coming from the people in your inner circle. I still process through labels that were given to me growing up that I have carried into my adult life. Unlike yours, my labels gave me comfort and a sense of belonging. As an adult, they have become limiting and restrictive. I have allowed these labels to saturate my identity and find myself resisting change out of fear of losing the security blanket of, quote, belonging. These are like badass, huh? Yeah, I could relate. Actually, I can relate to this. I think I had a lot of labels like compliant child given to me growing up that I found comfort in because I knew that that was like a safe place to be. 
But then as an adult, that didn't serve me very well. Well, was that who you really are? Or was that what you were like groomed to be? Because That's what was safe for me yeah. to be. Yeah. When a more mature version of you actually is not that compliant, unfortunately, <laughs> for some of us. Two okay. more. This this is one. This person says, if someone says to another person, you cry too much, it could be that the person does cry a great deal. Or it could be that the person saying that is uncomfortable with another's tears and wishes the crier would stop so that they, the feedback giver, isn't put in a position of being uncomfortable and not knowing what to do or how to help. And both things can be simultaneously true. Perhaps people who have given Ben the narcissistic feedback are at least partially saying that at times they needed care or attention or to be heard. Ben was more focused on himself and they didn't get what they needed or wanted. Man, that is so... This is fair. I think that this is, is so true. Yeah. But instead of saying that, you know, these people um, just labeled you. Well, there's two fascinating points here. The first one is saying when, when you say you cry too much... What yeah. the true statement actually is, is you cry too much for me. Right. Cause I it's can't like, handle your crying is more accurate. You cry too much based on what? Right. But yeah. it's so much easier to say you blank. Right. Then the second point here, what people were really saying, and even towards the end, what was fascinating about a lot of these relationships is when we finally pulled the plug on some of them, that's when the real label started coming out. Um, like, but up until the very end, like, I'll never forget one conversation I had with this one guy that I was like kind of mentoring. He said, you're like my second dad. And at first I kind of took that as a compliment. It felt kind of weird. I was like, I'm not quite sure how to take that. But, but so he, but he was asking for more like positive vibes and feedback, but I was kind of feeling like, um, that we had an unhealthy role in their life. So when I pulled back, that's when the real mud started getting flung. Yeah. So it was like, well, one second you're saying I'm like your second dad. And the next second, as long as I don't keep on feeding you and buying into this position, you're going to kick me to the curb. So it yeah. really it was for you, not for me. Yeah. Okay, final one. Okay, this is from Moonglow. This podcast reminds me of when I was excommunicated from the Presbyterian Church in 2016. They have a file on me and everything dealing delineating the ways I'm a bad person. It's really weird. Yeah, it is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Does a Presbyterian church have a file on us? Mm. Wouldn't be surprised. We didn't get excommunicated. We got... We got shown the door. Yeah. It, it was like much... There was no official was dirt on us. Very diplomatic. But it was like, hey, since you're choosing to leave, and we're like, wait, we're not choosing we're to not. leave. Oh, anyways, here's the door. Since well, you're choosing to leave. Yeah, it was like... <clears throat> I think there's another church out there that would better suit your needs. It's like, we didn't ask for that. <laughs> but they, okay, I, they I, were I catch your drift. So kind. But I like how... Oh, here's the other comment. Okay. This is where it okay. came So... Do you want to read this First one? of all, you want me to read thank it? you guys for that. Yeah. Uh, that was really fun. And I don't know what... Yeah. That was why cool. that podcast hit a nerve with people in a positive way but i would love to record more podcasts like that that's what's cool is like we just keep pumping these things out and you just never know like how it's gonna hit even just one person because that's kind of a story from my past and i don't really i i don't really like talking about it because i i guess i still feel probably like i carry a little bit of guilt oh. but then when we did 
I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, it's helpful. Okay, this is from GV or Givi. I don't know. Hey, I'm a big fan, but I'm curious about something. How do your beliefs about not being a project juxtapose with statements like, my therapist says I'm not as mature as I could be in some areas? Aren't things like that saying you need to further develop the project that you are? Isn't it like you are a work in progress or a project in progress? I'm struggling with the difference. Great question. This yeah. is fun. So I'm gonna I'm gonna forget about what the therapist says for a sec second because I don't really I can't speak for him, but we can speak for ourselves. And you know, the reason why we go to therapy, I actually had to think about this for a while. I think it's a really good question. But I think the the reason why we go to therapy, why I go to therapy, is because I want to enjoy the process of growth. But I no longer see it as like, oh, I'm going to like end up somewhere or be finished or get complete. Or, or God's going to love me more. Yeah, or, or more acceptable. There's no final people. product. Yeah. It really is this process of, I mean, it's the same thing with our exercise routine. Like, we're not trying to, we're not actually training for a marathon, or we're not actually trying to get chiseled. Um, exercise as a, as a routine part of our week make our, makes our week better. Therapy as a routine part of our life makes our life better. And I also think it does take us someplace, but I think the mm -hmm. difference between a project and a gift is the project is hyper-focused on where you're going to end up. Whereas the gift you can actually enjoy right now. I can go to my therapist and he can say, oh, you're seeing this incorrectly or, or consider this other perspective. And instead of being crushed because I'm like, oh, crap, I thought I was going to be there by now. I'm already 39 and I'm so far behind. I can just be like, whoa, that's so cool. I'm so excited to see life more accurately beginning now. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know, I'm kind of addicted to freedom and i think the more growth that i pursued the more freedom i think i have gotten okay. okay so um today's topic is one that i am it's just one of my favorite topics and i'm not sure how it's going to translate to one of these podcasts but we're going to give it a shot okay so it's about, I would say, two things that are overrelated. Uh, related? Overrelated? Interrelated? Interrelated. <laughs> one is saying no, and one is pricing yourself. Now, this is especially true if you're a tattoo artist or a piano teacher. I say that because I've coached piano That's teachers people. and yeah. tattoo artists on pricing. But um, if you own a business or something like that. But it's not just... A business conversation at all yeah because so, i think it actually stems from how you see yourself and how you see your work and how you see other people so the context here is i was listening to this podcast by it's the tim ferris show who for those of you guys who don't know tim ferris is a new york times best-selling author who wrote books like the four-hour work week and i would categorize him as a life hacker but he's also become more and more known for interviewing people about their lifestyle habits. And in this particular interview, 
he interviews a guy named Seth Godin, who's a guy I'm particularly fascinated by because of his take on productivity, art, and business, but from a very unique perspective. He writes a lot of marketing books, but it's it's very much from a like a understanding humans perspective instead of a crunching numbers. He also has a podcast, right? Oh, he has podcasts. He's written 8,000 blog posts and written probably like 40 books. Not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to play some audio clips uh, today from this podcast. And I'm going to link that podcast below if you'd like to listen to the full thing. But I listened to this um, podcast and I was just like blown away. It was like what I needed to hear. So then we listened to it as a family and talked about it. And it's what kind of is sparking some of this conversation today. Yeah. Okay, so let's. We have three clips that we're going to be playing today. Let's listen to the first one, shall we? Hang on. Here we go. Here. If you uh, sell rent housing to low income people, if you sell health care, to the masses, please, please lower your price. For everybody else, this idea that people can't afford it is crazy talk. Because let's look at dog food. The, the price of dog food has gone just in the last 10 years from 2 or $3 a pound, which is the stuff at the supermarket, to $45 a pound, which is the keto dog food that I bought on a lark for my dog the other day. Um, now, I get that an, a grown-up adult might be hooked on this whole keto thinking, but as far as I can tell, even though the price of dog food has gone up by a factor of 20, dogs are not any happier than they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that you're trying to make the dog happy. You're trying to make the dog owner happy, and the dog owner is happier spending more money. Not all dog owners just the dog owners who are happier by spending more money. That's who the product is for. And so what we think about when we are not building a public utility, when we are an entrepreneur who's going to the marketplace with an innovation, is we need to please a small group of people. And one of the signals that is available to us is price. And the signal... Okay, that's the... Uh clip and Cammy disappeared because Rainier is supposed to be in bed but he got out and he's screaming her name so she went to go find him so sorry but this is life with our podcast right now and actually I'm like in the process of thinking maybe we should only be doing four vlog episodes a week in the podcast but I actually don't know. Um, so I'm just kind of like summarize a bit of what he was saying. Was he was talking about these different prices of dog food and how they went from being $2 a pound to $40 a pound for this keto one. And then he makes that kind of funny joke with the dogs aren't actually any happier who are seem like they would be the main customers or benefactors of this price increase. Because normally with a price increase you would think that you would have a quality increase. But what he's saying was um, the dogs are just as happy from 20 years ago as they are now. So who's really happier is actually the dog owners that are paying for it. So what he's getting at 
is that some people actually want to pay more for dog food. And that makes those particular dog owners happier uh, because you're actually giving them a product that is more expensive. Cammie is back. Hey, can you grab two of those coasters over there? So what really kind of um, blows me away about this topic is I think that there's this feeling out there, at least that I have had, which is that as a service provider or worker or in the times I've owned businesses or whatever, I almost felt guilty every time I raised my price. It was as if my goal should have been to make the price as low as possible. Like there was some magic number where it's like there's too much, the price is too high mm -hmm. for dog food. Like there's fear that no one's going to buy it or you're not going to have enough buyers. Well, is that part no, of it? my biggest fear, I mean, that's also a fear. I think that's a simultaneous fear. But my biggest fear is that someone will look at me and say, why are you charging $3 a pound when you could be charging $2 a pound? And there's almost like, it's almost better morally mm -hmm. if you're charging less. Yeah. As if money has this static, um, almost morality to it. So a little bit of context here. Um, one of the big parts of my past was playing professional blackjack. And one of the things playing professional blackjack did for me, I had a similar story as what I think it was Keith who shared, you know, going to Bible college and going to the mission field. At least that was my goal. So I had no interest in money in my college years. Well, you didn't, in a way, you still were, had interest in money, but you had interest in not having money. Yes, I was obsessed with not having money because I didn't want to become materialistic. So then I go and play professional blackjack. And before that, like I had had a job as an intern at a church and I was making like $200 a month and I would sweat every penny that I spent. I remember waiting in line like at an R-rated movie and just wondering if these people knew where their um, offering was going to go pay for my R-rated movies, yeah. would they be like pissed? Or like, you know, I remember going like two months or one month, like trying not to spend anything. And of course, at Bible college, there's this like kind of game people play where it's like, you know, it's not materialistic overtly. It is in uh -huh. other ways, but not okay. overtly. So in the real world, people are like, oh, I have a Gucci this and a Supreme that. And Bible college is like the opposite. People would be like, oh, I got these jeans for 40 bucks. They were like half off. And someone else would be like, well, I got these jeans for... 20 bucks and then someone else would be like well i got these jeans out of the dumpster for i got these jeans for free for free and then everyone would be like oh uh, and that person win. was like their jeans look like 10 years old two styles back but style was less important there was this other status symbol which was spiritual superiority mm -hmm. that was the main commodity there and the bottom line of what I'm getting at was like, if we heard that someone paid a hundred dollars for a pair of jeans, every single person there promise swear to God would be like, 
we'd be judging that person. It'd be like, $100 is too much for a pair of jeans. I'm not going to go to him for godly advice. <laughs> yeah. And in Blackjack, I'll never forget when I saw this person. I was in Vegas, and this guy, I was playing at this high roller table. This guy tipped this cocktail waitress a purple chip. Do you know how much a purple chip is? $500? 500 bucks. He gave the cocktail waitress 500 fucking dollars for bringing him a glass of wine. And you know what? She wasn't even phased because this shit happens all the time in Vegas. Like, they're, they're just, it's just like cartoon money. It's Monopoly money. It's play points. No one cares. I mean, this guy might have been worth $5 billion. And $500 for him is like the equivalent of literally, it's the equivalent of five cents for us. So what he's getting, the feeling that he gets when he gives away 500 bucks could be the same feeling I get when I'm giving someone $5. Um, and it's really this feeling that's kind of like important. So on the flip side, let's go back to the jeans. Um, there's no magical number for like what a pair of jeans or a purse should cost or shouldn't cost. And I think back then I used to think, oh, like $20 is like, basically I was like Costco price. So like Costco, you can for 14 or 20 bucks. So I was like 30 bucks. That's too much to pay for pair, pay for a pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. And if someone spent $30, I'd almost like judge them. And therefore on the production side of things, when it came time for me to, cause I, I was like, oh, they must be, materialistic at, the, at that point or greedy or flashy or something or just foolish with money yeah yeah but then on the flip side when it came time to actually charging money for my projects or time i just kind of applied the reverse yeah which doesn't very work very well because you know when you're in high demand especially because you have low prices for whatever it is then everyone's going to want to hire you. And then you're like super frustrated because you're saying no to people and you're disappointed in that way. And then I was. So I just, I just learned through blackjack that money did not mean what I thought it meant. I mean, I used to equate everything before blackjack to like meals for orphans in Africa. So when I spent $20 on a pair of jeans, when I'm thinking, well, if I could do this for free, that's $20 that could provide orphans with, you know, you know, you see those commercials where it's like $9 will feed an orphan and send them to school for two years. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, how can I afford to buy jeans when I could be paying for orphans? Mm -hmm. So anyways, I just, I, I like what Seth is saying because he's saying almost the opposite that there's certain people that want to buy $40 dog food for whatever reason. It just makes them feel good. Yeah. And who are we to tell that person, oh, you're an asshole for feeling good for $40. Really $35, that's the threshold price that should... If you feel good beyond that, then you're materialistic. As if there's some hidden rule book somewhere about all that. Yeah. All right. We ready for the second clip? Because you weren't even here for the first one, so... Here, the first one is... Oh, sorry. I need to provide context for this. Okay, so they're talking about this barbecue place in Texas that makes this limited amount of, like, bomb-ass barbecue. 
and I guess people wait in line for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And they like sell out by 10 a.m. like every day. <laughs> so they're talking about how good this barbecue is or why people are willing to wait in line for it. That's the context. Here, The first one is, in a double-blind taste test, they would never win. But that's okay because we're not double-blind. No one is double-blind. We know where it came from. And so if you know where it came from, it might win because what you're actually tasting is what it took to get it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And this is another key part because you are not manipulating people. You are serving them. They are choosing to go through these steps because those steps make the barbecue taste better. It's a placebo. And placebos are wonderful because they don't have any side effects and because <laughs> they actually work. So we can be honest, ethical, generous marketers by saying, my job is to put on a show. I'm not simply a manufacturer. Someone can always manufacture cheaper than me. But what people will pay for are trust and experience, something to talk about, scarcity, and the way it feels to be part of something. That's what we build. And so what we have to figure out how to do is build it in a way that when people find out that that's what we're doing, they're still okay with it. So that's a bit of a confusing clip, and I'm not as prepared for this talk as I wish I was. But to me, the point that I walk away from with that is people are really buying an experience. Yeah. You know, we, we like to think, oh, like, so this is what we talked about with our kids. The people that say that they walk into a movie theater and they're like, damn, I can't believe movie popcorn is $10. I could make that stuff for 10 cents. That's overpriced. They don't understand what they're actually buying. Mm -hmm. You're not actually <laughs> buying popcorn. That's not what they're selling, at least. They're selling an experience. Yeah. Like, when you go to the movies, you it's like just indulgence fest mm -hmm. 2K. You want, like... <laughs> You know, you want the stimulation you want for your eyes. You yeah. want the popcorn. Yeah. You want the icy in the other hand. Yeah. And that experience, people have decided, is worth an extra $10. Yep. And why shouldn't movie theaters charge that? In fact, what he's saying, it's kind of funny, but if movie theaters start giving it away for free, or the second anything becomes completely free, and I think this is the important principle in our life with saying no to people. When we give everything away for free, especially our time, yeah. it's, oh, crap. Um, it stops becoming valuable. Yeah. And one of the things that makes it valuable is, you know, so he was saying, you know, when people wait in line hours and hours for this barbecue, mm -hmm. like, of they, course it tastes better. <laughs> they have a bomb ass experience eating barbecue that, most people aren't able to get part of part of the experience is waiting in line. Yeah, that's what makes it, you know, which is it's kind of unintuitive. Yeah. Now, I want to translate this to, like, let's just say the stay-at-home moms or dads or, you know, the non-business folks out there, because, um, you know, I think it's easy to see. Well, well, I'm not selling barbecue. But for me at home, 
I had a tendency to want to say yes to every person that wanted to have a meeting with me. Yeah. Basically, it was as if I was pricing my time for free mm-hmm. and saying, you name the time. Heck, you even name the location. I'll drive. Yeah. If you want to meet with me and I'll give you 30 minutes, one hour, two hours, you name it. Right. And I thought I was being like really kind and loving. And I had a hard time saying no to people. Yeah. Right now, I don't have a lot of people vying for my time. But at certain times in my life, I had a lot of hours were requested of me. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a one-person podcast tonight. So now you're, you're, uh, your time is scarce. You've developed scarcity. <laughs> But no one's coming calling. <laughs> Hang on, I'm putting eye drops in. Yeah, I mean, I think I had a hard time thinking that my time was valuable, is valuable, and that I actually had, I, I, I actually had what it took to decide what is it that I want to do? But I didn't really ask that for a long, for a number of years. But I also think I, and I can kind of speak for you, but I don't know, was in a place too that I needed that, val- you know, validation. And, and that's too, I think, where, I mean, to go back to the business thing, when you have a hard time when you don't want to up your prices, I I think you have a hard time, like the way that you see yourself is diminished, you know, and you don't think you're worth whatever the top, the more top price, it, you know. Which and, sounds really noble, <clears throat> I think, from the world we came from. that's That was like the, um, it was almost seen as moral to devalue yourself or your time. Yeah. But really what th- what that's doing, at least what I heard you say, was it's like giving control of your life to other people. We're basically saying, hey, you decide my schedule and you decide yeah. my value. Yeah. So if you say you want to meet at noon and talk about this, we'll do it. Right. Well, and I think um, behind all that is probably just fear and I think there's different reasons for the fear. Like I think, um, I, I think maybe I had a fear of, oh, if I say no to this person, I won't have any friends. I won't have anyone, you know, to hang out with or something. Um, or they won't like me. Um, and I'll be, I'll be lonely. So it's interesting that it seems like that seems to be behind, behind most of the things is, is fear of something yeah yeah i think it could be fear of the moral side of pricing things too much fear that people could say no to that and they're like if i say um they're like hey you want to meet and i say yeah how's 1 p.m at the thai restaurant that's by the way two blocks from my house yeah or actually i did this for a time period i was like 6 a.m i was like if you're not willing to meet at 6 a.m then it must not be that important to you (laughs) but i say 6 a.m at avenue brew two blocks from my house on wednesday right and they say no then I'm like, oh crap! Mm. Like maybe, maybe I'm not valuable anymore. If if I'm waiting 
to get my validity or my value from that person. Yeah. Or you feel bad that, oh, I'm not, I'm not helping this person. Yeah. If that's my definition of help. Right. I guess. So, okay. Let's listen to the final clip. How's that sound? As soon as you can adopt the posture that you are needed to do a generous act, that someone in worse shape than you is drowning and that you have something to offer them, it shifts from a selfish act that is shameful to a generous act that is making a difference. So it requires us not to be selfish people. This is not double talk. But that once we realize that there actually is somebody who would miss us if we were gone, then we can get out of our head and realize we are not doing this to get in the light or to hide from the light. We are doing this because someone else needs us. And so the big shift is to stop thinking of prospects, stop thinking about people you are marketing to or at, and instead say, where are my students? Where are the people who are enrolled in this journey who I have a chance to teach? Because if I'm a teacher and the student is coming along for the ride, I don't have to yell. I don't have to interrupt. I don't have to hit kids with a ruler. All I need to do is take them to where they said they wanted to go. And that fits into the person I think most of us would like to be, which is the teacher we would remember years later. The person who turned on a light for someone who didn't have a light. Seth. Okay. So. For me. This is what's so badass about that quote or that story is like, I feel like we're in the middle of that right now. The context of today, you guys, if you follow our vlog, we put out a video talking about our vaccination story with our kids which spoiler alert we haven't done many vaccinations but i don't consider us anti-vaxxers we just have this like kind of philosophy about medicine and vaccinations happen to fits into it a certain way but really i don't care very much but we decided like we had some valuable part to add to the conversation but it really wasn't about vaccinations at the end of the day as much as it was about I don't know, kind of like witch hunts and... Like villainizing people that disagree with you and not letting people have a difference of opinion. Um, and we got a ton of backlash, as you could expect in this climate. Yeah. I couldn't... I can't even go on the comments. Like, So, <laughs> I, I just... There was like 10 people that announced they're unsubscribing. Yeah. Maybe 20 yeah. And for every one person that announces it, my guess, there's 20 to however many that don't. Yeah. So I'm just assuming there's... But hun- don't announce it, but unsubscribe. I'm assuming yeah. there's hundreds of unsubscribers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, where this gets interesting to me is I'm not... We have monetized our vlog as of recently, so we're making like money, but it's it's not enough to make this conversation that interesting to me. It's because it's not a factor in our mind. Let's just say it's like thirty to fifty bucks a day. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the question Cammy and I were asking when we made a video 
about this topic. I think the questions we were asking are, what do you ask? Um, well, I, I felt like we were being true to who we are and to actually what we've already put out on our fight for the other channel, which is really honest, <coughs> like things that talking about things that no one else is talking about in the, in a way that no one else is talking about. Yeah. But what's the, you were asking questions <coughs> even as soon as last night about you wanted yeah. to cancel the video last night. Well, I was like afraid. I'm like afraid of like CPS and like that kind of stuff. And, oh, really? And a little bit. <coughs> I think a little PTSD going on. But um, but I think also I didn't want to see our channel shrink. But now that I'm thinking about it, like that's not because cause then we're like constantly thinking about that and that making decisions based off of that, which I don't want to do. Um, like I think we've best served people, the people, you know, that says say are this the analogy he uses like the students we best serve people by putting the stuff out there that we are passionate about and i think we are passionate about not immunizations but the culture around immunizations and what that has done to people um that i'm not cool with like i'm not cool that that people are, are getting villainized um just because they have a difference of opinion and yeah because then it's like if if it's not immunizations it'll just be something else so in a way even though our vlog is free technically like you know we give it away for free there's still a question (coughs) of how much we value ourselves or our message and that's where I think by listening to just popular, well, it's it's honestly it's a lot of church bullshit still from my past from the narcissism stuff, but also from um, just like popular um, cultures commentary. When people see that we put a video out on being what they consider anti-vax, I think people make the statement like, "Oh, you're just trying to piss people off." You're trying to convert people. You're trying to um, get attention. You're trying to stir the pot, blah, blah, blah. All these like kind of negative things. And what I like about what he says is when you're actually able to see what you have as valuable and giving it away as truly the most generous thing and actually just kind of have the balls to do that, that's when you're going to find, he calls them students. To me, that's a, I don't think he means it this way, but that sounds a little bit condescending to me yeah. for yeah. our audience. <laughs> but it's the people that are going to be excited by that thing. Yeah. Like right. w- when you switch the light on, they're going to be glad that you did it. Yeah. And if you were to die, they'd miss you while you're gone. Yeah. But as long as you're worried about trying to make everyone happy, or I guess what I would say is keep it free or keep it cheap because... The second we make content like that, we know there's going to be people that are going to be pissed off and they're going to leave. And like Cammy kind of said, it feels like we're letting a bunch of people down. But it's not for them. Like and he said, the, says this in another podcast, like realizing that 
okay, this is the message we have to offer. And if you're going to unsubscribe, then that's totally fine. This isn't, this message isn't for you. But that's such a hard place to get to. Yeah. Because if we don't have a strong message, we could just make another video about us fucking hiking outside and walking something less controversial, even though that was pretty controversial too. But just be like, hey, everybody, like we're here and we love people. We're going to give 200 bucks to a homeless person a day. In a way, that'd be taking the easy way out for us Mm -hmm. because it would make like, let's just say 99% of people happy. We'd probably grow in subscribers. But it's not like, it's not our thing. No. And um, it's not our truest thing. Right. And when we do our truest thing, I think it's a way of almost raising our price. We're saying, all right, hey, if you're going to hang out around here, you're going to at least have to be okay with us not vaccinating some of our kids. Right. And a lot of people aren't. Right. And it's yeah. sad. Every time you raise your price, um, and, and I've coached people through this process. It's much easier for me to coach other people. Right. And yeah. I say, hey, you're busy. Raise your price. You're too busy. Raise your price. That means people are saying they're willing to pay more for you and you're not willing to take it. Raise your price. Right. And a number of people have done this that I've yeah. coached. Mm-hmm. And they tell me the same thing every time. They have plenty of students. The people that really valued them stuck around. The people that didn't, didn't. And they, But they were like, I, di- I wanted to keep everyone. I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah. Because when you say no to the people that didn't really value you anyways, they were only there because you were the cheapest guy. It's going to open the time slots for other people that really do want what you have to offer and are willing to pay more for it. Yeah. So in a way, by keeping the price low and trying to make everyone happy and not making the anti-vax video, it's not even an anti-vax video, but I just call it that for shorthand, <laughs> then like our real audience, the real students, the people that really care about those things and grow and can't find them anyplace else, and by the way, you can find tons of videos of people giving away 50 bucks to homeless people bragging about that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they're actually going to become more diehard fans and will attract more of those types of people because I do believe they're out there, mm-hmm. even though it's hard to believe sometimes because yeah. we feel alone. Yeah. But I think, so now we're kind of, and we've done this several times already, but it's still, it's hard every time. Where you raise your price or you put out the the not cool, not vaccinating video. You be honest. You be yourself. You be yourself. And then you lose some people. You lose clients, so to speak. And it's that part is painful. But if you can keep your eye on who you really are, what your message really is, and that your message isn't for those people, then I think it helps. Like you can get through it and this isn't going to be the, I mean, this isn't going to be the next, the last time we do something like this. And maybe it truly is the most generous thing you can do is to do the thing that you know will eliminate some people, Mm -hmm. even though it doesn't feel like it at first. It feels like you're being kind of an ass by not saying yes to everyone or providing a, a doorway that's 12 feet wide that anyone can walk through. Right. Like, oh, did you really have to post about your vaccination story when you don't vaccinate? Like, don't you know, blah, 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 the culture we live in. And 
And this has just so, happened with everything that we've done like that. You yeah. know, when we post pictures of us going to like a nudist resort. Hang on, I dropped. Yeah. Or, yeah, even hiking the AT with a two-year-old in the cold. We get some people that are like, oh, yeah. TMI didn't need to see that. Yeah, we talk about sex. But then we always, inevitably what happens is we get a whole nother group of people that might be smaller. But I think they also happen to be more, I don't want to say legit, but they're more, they're more attracted to the real us every yeah. time we do something like that. Yeah. And they say, oh my gosh, I have been looking for this. They're not Thank just you. there to be entertained. And not to say that the people that left were just there to be entertained, but I wouldn't be surprised if a good amount of them were. Okay, so I want to finish off with a story. This is one of my favorite stories. And um, it's just fun for me. Um, you don't know what story it is. No, I don't. When I was... Wait. Maybe I do. What? Is it the Gene story? No, no that's a good okay. story, too. Okay. Then I um, um, When I was with Dove on our 13th birthday five years ago, uh, we were in D.C. and New York on her trip that she chose, and I get a call from a, a previous client. I'm just going to say their name because I don't think they care. It says uh, Yelp, Yelp.com. It's like they're in San Francisco. And I helped them make videos and stuff like that. And the guy called me and he's like, Ben, we need you. Fly out to San Francisco tomorrow. And he's like, I'll give you five grand for one day. Hmm. And I was like, five grand? I was like, that's incredible. I'm going to tell be able to make five grand. And, and Dove's entire trip costs five grand. Yeah. Make that back in one day for less than eight hours of work. Mm-hmm. But uh, here I was on my this trip with my 13-year-old. And this is a text message, by the way. I think. I probably still have it. <laughs> but it was like urgent. You know, it was saying like, you got to do this tomorrow. I mean, I don't think it really said that, but that's how I saw it. I was like, yeah. oh, if I say no, it's, this isn't going to be around the next mm-hmm. day. So I thought about this, but it was, it was a pretty easy decision. It was just like, I can't do that. Uh, you know, this is my daughter's 13th birthday trip. So I said, I texted him back or called him or something. I said, if, if this is still around in like six days, I'm willing to talk because... Um, that's when I got back to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So Dove and I, we finished the trip. And I don't really think much of it. Like, I'm like, okay, this, this offer is probably gone. And I come back six days later and I say, hey, are you still interested? And he said, yeah. Are you willing to come out? So now I really have to think because I had been gone for almost two weeks. Mm-hmm. And flying out to San Francisco is not one day. I mean, if we're working there one day, it's flying one day and it's flying back one day. So really, it's three days. So I've been gone for 10 days. We had enough money. Um, and now it's like, oh, do I just say goodbye to Cammy and leave for another three days? Now, some people, that's like no big deal. And I'm not trying to knock people that do business trips. But the culture in our family was I had like high, I'd done a lot of traveling. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, you know what? The home is the most important place for me. I really want to take it seriously and prioritize it over money. And I just knew if I left here for three days for five grand, I'd feel kind of shitty. 
So I could have just said no. But then I did this other little thought experiment. But I was like, what dollar amount would actually make me happy or feel like I was being valued enough, my time is being valued, my three days away from my family to do that? And I was like, you know, for 10 grand, I'd feel pretty good about that. And I want them to pay for all transportation, not just for me. I want to pay them to pay for hotel, airfare, and food for me and a kid to, br- to bring out with me so I can spend time with a kid the entire time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think, well, this is just suicide. It's going to be a shot in the dark. <clears throat> this yeah. is like just not going to happen. But I'll at least tell them what I'm willing to do it for, and then they can just say no. That's fine. I was okay with them saying no. So I said, yeah, sorry, uh, it's, I'm going to need ten grand and all expenses for me and a kid. And it probably took about three seconds. And then I hear, okay. <laughs> three seconds. And then I'm like, <clears throat> oh. Okay. All right. I guess I'm going to San Francisco. <laughs> well, no. You know, then I was like, shit. I could yeah. ask for 20 grand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> so I did. I went to San Francisco. We went to In-N-Out Burger. Um, did you take Dove? Yep. Yeah. I took Dove. Went to Yelp for less than eight hours. Um, got a... 10 grand check for it and the point of this is not to brag about <clears throat> me getting 10 grand because now i'm like holy crap that is a lot of money but just to realize that in a way like we never know what other people value or what it's worth to them and i think i felt guilty over pricing myself as if like you know back to the Jeans shouldn't be more than 20 bucks. I shouldn't be more than five grand. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Years later, like, so that was five years ago. I think it was a year and a half ago. I was reading the newspaper and I read that this court case got settled in the European Union. I think it was the largest European Union court case in history for Google. It was like $5 billion or something. And I texted the guy and was like, was that the project we were working on? Like, that was the end result? And he was like, yeah, that was the project. That well, I made the video, or I, I helped consult. Like Google bought Yelp? Or? No, 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 no. It was more complicated. Okay, it was like okay. this antitrust settlement because oh, all this complicated crazy. stuff. But, okay. Um, That's but the point was, Yelp probably, they might <laughs> that have... was like five cents to them. Yeah, like, they, uh, were, they could have made like a billion dollars yeah. on it, literally. Yeah. And, you know, so for them, five grand... Yeah, they just like it didn't matter to them if they think if they feel like they're getting the best guy Mm -hmm. for this type of consulting stuff they it's worth it and maybe they even feel better paying 10 grand i don't know i don't even care yeah but you don't get it unless you ask Hmm. and i think about that story often because i was so close to either saying no or saying yes for five grand and just feeling kind of crappy about it And now it's one of my favorite stories just because I had the balls to say, you know, I feel like this time I'm going to be worth 10 grand. Well, and you also took the time to answer. You didn't like react quickly. And I think that's, I think that's my weakness is I'll, I'll, I'm not even comfortable saying, especially if the person's like in my face, literally saying like, um, I need some time to think about it. You know, I, I feel like I'm. Uh, putting them out somehow by not um, 
answering them positively. Yes. You know, right then and there. Um, but I, I have found when I, and it sounded like you took some time to think about it. You know, you, even though you felt pressured, you still took the time to think about it. Yeah. I mean, it was a factor of time, but it was also just thinking like, what do I actually want here? Instead of, I mean, cause they, they were the ones that said five grand. I didn't list that price originally. So who knows why they listed five grand. Maybe it was like, you know, the budget, maybe it was the bare minimum that they were, yeah, you know, willing to pay. And they were like, well, let's start with this and see what happens. Anyways, I like that story for me because it, it's, it also just shows how there's no dollar amount out there, you know, for how much an hour is worth of your time. It's all really what people are willing to pay. And there, there's no static amount. There's no, you know, God isn't excited about $100 or he's not shocked by a million. And I don't think we should be either. Um, and as we mature and grow, I've just noticed that, um, well, I hope the money and even the, in our case, audience, the, the population starts to lose its power, the numbers, and we start to become like truly generous with our real giftings and our real selves and bringing and delivering that into the world. Hmm. I think that's what this is all about. And price is just one of the ways to do that. It's not like yeah. all of it. Okay, so... Great. If you guys are interested in that, check it out in the show notes. Uh, but we are going to go to the phone lines and listen to a few messages. I have a sound effect for that. Stop. Hi, Cammie and Ben. I have a question for you in your question segment. Um, I was just wondering if you have any opinions on like climate change um, and the environmentalism movement. Um, you seem to not be super wasteful people in general, which is like really nice to see, especially on YouTube, where I feel like consumerism is just super rampant. Um, but I am curious about all your wood burning stoves, um, just because they are incredibly polluting and in particular contribute a ton of particulate matter to the air and the atmosphere. And so I was just wondering if uh, those are aspects of life that you ever really think about or have opinions on. Cool. Have a great day. Bye. Did not know that, to be honest. I almost didn't take this question. Yeah. Because, one, I don't think we have an interesting answer. And two, I don't appreciate you talking on the particular matter of my woodburn stuff. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, so maybe you're totally right. No, you might be totally right. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that about woodburning stoves. Um, we're not super politically minded people, or we don't, like, get into stuff the politics which really i think to a lot of people this is not a political issue though people are on way yeah yeah maybe not well yeah so to take politics off the table for me i have actually been thinking about it more and more and it can be a bit daunting though to think um to just change your life dramatically to make it less wasteful um but this is a funny example, but it's real. Um, I've tried to bring real, like reusable bags to the supermarket instead of using the plastic bags. But today I forgot. <laughs> so 
I think it's just for me, I've just tried to be more mindful about it and just taking um, small steps towards uh, be more mindful about it because I do care. Um, I think there's different levels of caring, I'm sure. I don't care. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't really think about climate change. It feels like completely outside of my control and interest level in a way. I wasn't talking about climate change. I, to me, that I know it's related. Is, totally is. It's about climate change. Well, she was talking about wastefulness and consumerism. And well, her main one is about... She, okay. her, first question is do you have opinions on climate change yeah, and then yeah. she says i've noticed this and that yeah 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 i don't have any i don't with climate change i don't really have opinions on it <laughs> so you don't care either i guess not <laughs> i just wouldn't say it like that oh okay so yeah neither of us care about climate change now um that's actually not to say that i don't care about conscious living and i do think conscious living will impact climate change yeah um but to me there's like a lot of talk about global concern when really it doesn't matter unless it changes our actual day-to-day life. And I I found that most people, their talk about global concern is a way of actually not having to deal with their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. So I am all for the types of lifestyle that would result in, I think, a better climate, actually. Yeah. And there's a whole video we made about this long ago before the vlog. And there was this TED talk where this guy said, people are really concerned about the landfills, but the landfills aren't the problem. The landfills are a symptom of a certain behavior that causes landfills. When you create and you consume far more than you are capable of dealing with, basically, yeah. you will. the net result is you will have landfills. But then if you start this, like, oh, let's get rid of landfills. That You can't really solve the problem that way. Yeah. So anyways, like we have kind of, I have like an old school kind of like farmer's mindset where it's like, I like to turn the lights off. I don't want to consume and waste. Um, I'm very economical um, naturally in those ways. And those principles are important to me because I feel like that's better for us to function as humans. And I also think it will result in, whether the climate change, wherever it's at, however detrimental it is, whether it's real or not, like I, I don't have the energy to invest into that because it wouldn't change me very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I don't think it's important. I think, you know, I think other people, that's more their gig and they have more energy for that message and that research. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's the very long yeah. answer to say no. Yes, something. Okay, second question. Hi, my name is Alexis. I'm currently living in Omaha, Nebraska. My question is, how do you balance the freedom and flexibility of choice and wanting to make rational decisions as you pursue your future? This is because I currently have three options that I'm trying to decide between, and I'm just wanting any advice. So option one is hike the AT solo. Obviously, you guys have experience with that. Second option, move to Tijuana, which is in Mexico, and work and live among like-minded people in a mission-centered environment, or uh, abandon my current college progress, which is a business HR degree, 
and pursue schooling in holistic health. Any input is helpful. Thanks. Hmm. Wow. That's three very different paths you could take. Um, <clears throat> so she wants I've... to know our rationale and decision-making. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this sounds maybe simple, but like actually writing out your pros and cons for each one. But I, <clears throat> I, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think deep down there might be one that you want to do more. And, and there are, and there also might be one that won't be there next year. I don't know. Like I, I think about like, like taking the opportunity if you really want to do something and you know this is might be the only opportunity to do it then maybe going for it is is a good way to go um i would say do what you want to do mm-hmm. i mean and that yeah. that sounds like simple yeah. but my guess is one or two of those have kind of a sense of obligation maybe yeah or maybe you're doing it to make someone else happy and based on all the information you know i mean there's missions in there so that sounds spiritually motivated in some way so there's there's all these things like okay what's best for me what's best for me in the future what's what does god want or you know all these people that are gonna try feel like are gonna make me happy taking all that into account at the end of the day, I feel like it is a pretty simple question. And I feel like by ignoring the simplicity of it in our experience with religious folks is they actually just make it, you know, they start saying, oh, God wants me to this, or this is more spiritual sounding. But at the end, it's really, it still is what they want to do. They they just call it those other things, um, which I think makes it a little bit more confusing, actually. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you want to do? There's that whole, like, you know, that, what is that thing where you flip a coin and then the second before it lands, you know, like, what <laughs> yeah. it is that you, how you want it to land. Right. I'm not saying you should do that, but. Um, you could. <laughs> but I think, I think it's okay to do that. Yeah. Just, yeah, just decide, so like, hey, I'm, it's, I don't know if I'd even call it selfish, but just to say, to trust yourself like you're a smart person like if you're in school and all this other crap like you you know like you're thinking about long-term stuff you're thinking about other people you're thinking about your future you're thinking about what's best for you and health okay what do you want to do yeah hope that helps yeah i don't know how it would help but Mm -hmm. all right um thanks guys yeah um i'm interested to hear in the uh comments like about this whole pricing thing if there's an area that you find that you underprice yourself or that you are giving away something for free or cheap that maybe shouldn't be because you're not valuing it and therefore it's less generous so and it doesn't that. have to actually have a price like it could just be your time yep most expensive thing in the world yep Okay, this podcast is available on iTunes and all that other stuff. Google, Spotify, I guess. Um, We have a Facebook discussion group. Um, All the links to that stuff is in the show notes. And I'm going to try and post the 
link to the podcast, the Seth Godin podcast. I actually highly recommend it because there's a whole other section we didn't get into, which is saying no. And I think you guys might like it. Um, the phone number, we do need more messages for next week um, with your questions and comments, is 206-651-5744. That's 206-651-5744. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.